Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Mia Swainson is a writer and entrepreneur with a passion for sustainable living. Mia is president of the Canberra Environment Centre and founding chair of Canberra's Zero Waste Revolution. Mia designs and delivers community workshops around Canberra on how people can better manage their household waste. Today I'm talking to Mia Swainson about her new book, Happy Planet Living, Simple Ways to Live a Climate Positive Lifestyle and Make a Big Difference. Mia Swainson, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for having me on. Where and when did we forget the art of sustainable and regenerative living? That's a great question, Greg. Look, I think we've been losing it gradually over time as we've become wealthier and the convenience has slipped in. We probably started losing it after the 50s when we this industrialisation really and plastic sort of grew as a thing in our life. And, you know, we stopped having to conserve every bit of the, you know, if we were eating an animal, we'd have to eat every bit of it. But no longer do we do that. We just eat the bits that we like and and the rest is discarded. Happy Planet Living suggests a number of ways to a happier planet, but your starting point is knowing your carbon footprint. Why is it important for each of us to know our carbon footprint? Well, everyone has actually a really different carbon footprint. So that's why it's important to know what yours is made up of. So some people's carbon footprint will be driven by the number of flights they take. You know, if you take a lot of flights, there'll be a really big portion of your carbon footprint. Other thing is if you're living somewhere where your electricity is not carbon neutral, so if you're somewhere that has a lot of coal-fired power going into the grid and you're using the grid, electricity could end up a really big part of your carbon footprint. Or if you tend to have quite a bit of money and you buy a lot of stuff, that will also drive your carbon footprint. So knowing your carbon footprint is the first step to being able to decide, well, what is the most, the easiest, simplest thing that I can do that'll make the biggest difference? How do we go about calculating our carbon footprint? There's a bunch of online calculators that are super simple to use. Some of them take, you know, three minutes to do You can, if you want to do a short snapshot. And then you can spend sort of a longer 10, 15, 20 minutes to do the longer version. So, um, and I'd recommend the one that I've used in the book, which is put out by the UN. It has a whole range of really simple questions about where does your electricity come from? How approximately how big is your car and how much do you drive it? Um, how many flights a year do you take? How often do you buy new products? And you just put that information in and then it spits out this little diagram that shows you how much carbon, you know, approximately, you know, would you be emitting each year because of the choices and the activities you've done. And then you can see which parts of your lifestyle um, contribute the most. In the same chapter, you mentioned offsets. Everybody has heard the term offsets and it sounds like some sort of magic bullet. What are offsets and do they really make a difference to our carbon footprint? Offsets are quite controversial at the moment because we're heading toward a climate emergency um, and some of the offsets, you know, will 
take effect immediately and some of them take time. So an, what is an offset? So an offset is where um, you purchase so, or ask someone else to take action that takes carbon out of the atmosphere to offset or counterbalance the carbon that you're taking out of the atmosphere. So that's what an offset is. It's controversial at the moment because um, some people offset through um, planting trees and I, including me, and I'm supportive of offsetting through planting trees, but the benefit of that carbon being taken out of the atmosphere takes time, takes 20 or 30 years, depending on the trees that have been planted and then it needs to be stored. So some advocates say that we should only offset like with like. So if you're, you're emitting from fossil fuels, you should purchase offsets that are from fossil fuel avoidance. So actually relatively cheap fossil fuel avoidance offsets can be got um, through credits through people who are building dams and hydroelectricity re replacing coal-fired electricity, and that's a relatively cheap offset. Um, has other implications, but, yeah, I, I'm still supportive of buying offsets that are, you know, forest-based or trees. This book really is about what the individual can do on a day-to-day -day basis. Happy Planet Living is full of simple and practical steps to reducing our footprint, carbon footprint, including weatherproofing our homes to reduce energy consumption. But there seems to be a trend, particularly in housing, where bigger is sold as better, and bigger usually means more consumption of materials and energy. How do you change minds when on this pathway? It's difficult. How do we turn this tide around? And I think it comes from being a couple of things. First of all, just being more mindful, taking that moment to reflect. The other is to be more connected to our planet. So through I've got um, a whole section there around gardening and kitchen gardening. And I think kitchen gardening, whether it's in pots on a balcony or it's in a, you know, a small garden space or, or even a large garden space, we've got space for an orchard, that feeling that connection to our planet, I think, is part of really shifting that mindset and realising that, you know, we are completely dependent on planet Earth for our survival and for the survival of our grandchildren. And there are some simple things we can do that can make a big difference. I think that's the other thing. That's why I wrote the book. I, there's, and I'm sure you'll ask that question later, but it's just I'm so passionate about supporting people to um, make those simple decisions that can make a big difference. And I feel like that's the gap in terms of what's out there, that lots of people care about the environment, care about making a difference to the planet, but don't know where to start. And so my book is that simple guide that enables people to pick and choose what will work for their life that will make a difference for the planet. We'll continue with the less is more theme and you apply that to shopping. Buy nothing new is your motto. Now that's a noble thought and a practical one too, but are we fighting against a consumerist mindset, a tide of overconsumption? Absolutely. We're absolutely. And consumption is at the heart of sustainability without addressing consumption i don't think we can live sustainably on our planet it's it's really been one of those big drivers i mean you asked at the start what's changed and yes and it was industrialization in the 50s but the other thing that's changed has been this world of advertising where people just keep getting encouraged to consume and and take more from the planet so um in terms of buying nothing new yes it feels like it's hard and it actually before I did my first Buy Nothing New challenge, I was really terrified. I wasn't sure that I could last even a couple of days. And a few days in, I was like, I need a pen. 
what am I going to write with? I couldn't find a pen anywhere. And I was sort of starting to feel devastated that I would fail in this buy nothing new challenge after two days. Really, that's terrible. But it was an opportunity to slow down and just pause for a moment and think, hang on, I've got a few pens in the back of the cupboard. And I did. And I actually found a stash of about 10 pens. And so I haven't had to buy a new pen for many years. I just if I lose one, I go back to that stash. So I think by setting yourself that challenge for a week or a month, you'll see what happens if you just do your best to stick to it. Um, we needed a tent partway through one of those challenges to go camping. And I was like, oh, I can't walk into a camping store and buy a tent. What am I going to do? Okay, um, straight on to Gumtree. Um, these days I use Facebook Marketplace a lot. And voila, you know, new tent. Well, new tent to me, but, you know, not new. And um, you have the price. And also connect me to someone who lived just around the corner who was also interested in camping. And that was really nice. I was amazed to realise, to compare the life of a ballpoint pen with that of a pencil, I'm talking about 900 metres for a pen and five kilometres for a pencil. Now, these are very small issues, but the object of this book is the cumulative effect of those things. Look, I think it's really fascinating and I couldn't quite believe it when I started looking into the impact of different objects that there were, you know, a pen and a pencil both do the same thing, but a pen has just a much bigger impact on the planet than a pencil does and it is about the length of use also about the composition of the stuff like a pencil is wood and graphite which can actually go back into the earth but a pen is a composite because it's got all that ink as well as the plastic and it doesn't break down so easily and especially many pens also have metal associated with them as well so yeah there is actually a really big difference i doesn't mean i don't use a pen no, i do use pens but it does mean that I do shift I'm a facilitator and when I do um, take start something in for people to write with I always take pencils I don't give out pens I yeah it's always pencils. Happy Planet Living is not just a book full of practical and effective ideas in changing our carbon footprint it's also a cookbook and it talks a lot about food at the core of our diet as human beings is protein and the traditional source of protein has been meat. You admit that being a vegetarian or a vegan is not easy, but you do suggest a middle ground. What are the things we should consider in finding that middle ground? That middle ground is actually really important. If you do eat meat regularly, it actually ends up quite a substantial or can end up a substantial portion of your carbon footprint like globally, I think emissions from sort of livestock are around the 14% or something of, you know, of global emissions. It's, it's a really substantial amount of emissions. So it's worth looking at, I guess is my first thing to say. It's not just a fringe issue. It's, it's is core. And I just encourage people to start with Meat-Free Monday. Start with one day a week, you know, where you don't eat meat. See what innovation comes from that. What what are the dishes that you end up cooking that night or that day? You know, what do you have on your sandwich in the day? And then once you've picked up one night, maybe pick up another and another. So, you know, in the beginning, it'll be a bit of planning and a bit of trying new things. But then over time, you'll settle on what the right rhythm is for you and your family and your household. 
There are practical things that we can do to live a more sustainable life, from upcycling furniture and clothes to eco-toys and zero-waste birthday parties. That sounds like a great idea. There's a great section on creating gardens, big, small and rambling, including pest control, keeping chickens and encouraging bees and birds and creating habitat. But there's one chapter that really caught my attention, how to change the world, especially the section titled Convert Interested People. But what about the disinterested people, those who can't or don't even consider their own energy use and waste? I like to start with people who are interested. I feel like we have an enormous amount of energy there from people who are just a little bit interested and curious but not sure where to go. 90% of people would say that they'd like to live more sustainably but they don't know how. And I think for that last 10%, there's so much work that's positive that we can do with that 90%. Until we've got the full 90% feeling like they know what they can do and feeling excited about the things they are doing, I'm happy to let that small percentage of people who don't care. I'm happy to leave them on their own for now. The other thing I'd say on that is also to be an example. So sometimes you don't have to tell someone what to do. And I'm pretty sure I say this in the book. Um, You don't have to tell someone what to do, but you can be an example and then they'll ask you questions. Happy Planet Living is also a cookbook. And getting back to the protein thing that we talked about a minute ago, I noticed there are very few recipes that include meat, but you do include protein from other sources. But my mum won't even look at a lentil. How can I convert her to the faith? <laughs> um, oh, that's that's tricky. And look, my children wouldn't look at a lentil till I introduced dal. So, you know, sometimes there's the particular dish that will work for them. So, you know, butter chicken and a vegetarian dal is is now a standard on the menu for us how do you convert people who you know won't look at a lentil try some of those dishes that i've got there in the book not all of them have lentils um a lot of them will have seeds in them rice paper rolls are amazing with avocado and tofu as the protein um and hopefully if you recreate some of that flavor people will enjoy it so sometimes when you're not using meat you might have to think differently about the way you create the flavour in the dish, about the mix of salt and pepper and then other spices that really sort of can bring out something really special when you taste it. One of the things that comes through in the chapters on food is that cooking is the joy of the homemade. It's creating things yourself. But what if my first attempt at a sourdough loaf ends up like a brick? Do not despair. (laughs) You won't be the only person who found sourdough tricky. Um, My advice, and my husband is not allowed to listen to this, is to just use yeast. It is so simple. And if your first attempt with yeast fails, try again and it'll work. Yeast is just, in my experience, almost foolproof. I've got a fabulous recipe there for a yeast-based seed and nut loaf, and um, you can adapt that as they like. The sourdough notes in the book really are designed to help someone who's already been to a sourdough workshop or has been making it, you know, rekindle that love because my husband, who's the sourdough person in our house, assures me it's very simple, but you have to attend a workshop to know exactly how to make a sourdough loaf. So yeast would be my advice. Much of what you cover in Happy Planet Living requires input, human input, both in time and in energy. When we live in a time where we outsource so much of what we need, 
do we have to take a different view of the way we live and reassess what is meaningful to us? Time is one of our most valuable resources and assets. And thinking about how you want to spend that time, um, I think is, you know, part of just being mindful and, and part of how you deciding how you want to connect to the planet. Choose the things that you like doing. You know, I like making muesli because I like to eat the muesli that I make. Um, but someone else equally might prefer making their own yogurt, you know, because they like the taste of that better. So choose things that you enjoy either the process of doing and the product. So you can get something really unique when you make it at home. My final question to you is that many people might say the little things we do from day to day don't really make a difference to climate change and that it's really a government responsibility. How do you counter that outlook? Look, and I can see why some people will say that, but actually studies in the United States found that 80% of emissions in the United States were driven by household-level decisions. So you could wait for governments to change and you could wait for business to change. But actually, at the household level, we're incredibly powerful. We can make decisions that matter. And the other thing is I wouldn't want to wait. I, you know, I think there's an element of everyone has a role to play in the climate crisis. I think households do. I think government does have a very big role. And so do businesses. Big business and small have a role in saving the planet. And so choose some things that you enjoy and do them rather than asking someone else to do all the heavy lifting. Mia, so many good ideas in this book. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been talking to Mia Swainson about her new book, Happy Planet Living, Simple Ways to Live a Climate Positive Lifestyle and Make a Big Difference. It's published by Wilkinson and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.